And we're going to read this in a funny way, because I do that a lot, but I think it helps for understanding. So what I want to do is, I actually want to read verse 15. We'll pray after Hebrews 9, 15. Then we're going to go back and study those, those verses that, that preceded, verses 11 through 14. And that's where the bulk of our work is going to be tonight. And we're going to do it just as quickly as possible. Um, in uh, Hebrews 9, verse 15, let's read, then we'll pray. Um, our Lord says, uh, through the writer of Hebrews, Therefore He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank You and I love You. Father, I ask You please to bless me, God, as I spend just a few moments on this, Father. I pray, God, that You will order, guide my mind and my heart, Father God. I pray, Father God, that the spirit of understanding that You've given me, Father God, just, moment, just moments ago, Father, will radiate throughout everything that I have to say, Father God. Reign me in. Bless me, Father God, to only be orthodox, only be biblically sound, Father God, only be doctrinally pure and nothing else but that, Father. This is not a time for any, God, new revelation because there's no such thing, Father God, but a time for the established revelation of the Scriptures, Father. Pray, God, now that I can say, uh, maybe in a new way or in a new voice, Father, what the saints of old have always said and thought about this passage. That's what I pray for now, God. I pray, God, not to set out on my own, Father, but to build, to just lay one more brick on top of the bricks that have already been laid, Father God, by the forefathers. I pray for this now, Father God, and I pray, God, that I will surrender myself, Father God, and that all of us, God, now can surrender ourselves, Lord, to the, to the, to the will and the purpose of the living God. In the name of Christ, Lord, I pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to... Look at verse 15, very quick, and then go back in verses one through four, I mean 11 through 14, and we'll finish our work in this Bible study and try to start with Genesis next week. He says, therefore, once again, as I've talked about many times, when you see those English words that imply conclusion, they mean that the writer, whoever it is, Paul or whoever, has, has, has made their case, and now this is what's to be logically or theologically derived from that case. He says, therefore, He, now, the He is Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant. So we now have firmly established this one issue. And that issue is that our salvation, Brother Russ, now depends on the, the workings and the power of a new covenant. Not an old, completed covenant of the law, of the sacrifices, that was just for the revelation of Christ. For the illustration of the needs for Jesus, the need of Jesus. And now the coming of Jesus to come and fulfill all of that, so that He would come as, as prophet, priest, and king, to fulfill all of the requirements of that Old Testament covenant. We now have a new, better covenant, it's called, so that those who are called may receive what? The promised eternal inheritance. There you go. We now are part of a salvific covenant that promises to do what for us? Save us. Save us eternally. Now look, I don't know if everybody has confronted that issue. Probably haven't in a room this diverse in ages. But all we can say is this, is that's the issue of a lifetime. The issue of a lifetime is this, is are you saved? 
Have you trusted in the right covenant, the covenant that will provide salvation? Have you trusted in the right mediator of the right covenant? Because only the right mediator of the right covenant provides salvation. And ultimately, have you believed in the right God? There, there's the issue. We send missionaries around the world. We go out and we witness Brother Brian in front of abortion clinics. We talk about it in school every single day. We are missionaries on the ground right now, wherever we are. And all that comes back to one issue and one issue only. And that is, are you trusting in Jesus for your sins? I did it today in class. I talk about it literally every class period. Opening that opportunity. My goodness gracious life. Are we Trusting in the right, because if you're not trusting in the right Jesus, then understand all the other trappings don't matter. All the other work is, is of no consequence. This is what matters to receive the promised eternal inheritance. This covenant that we're culminating with today promises an eternal inheritance. The whole point of this, all this coming and going, of all this talking, and all of these different little tangents that I pray God has reined in and brought together. The purpose of all of it is one purpose. And that was that you could have a reliable faith. A faith you could trust. I mean, you personally could not be torn up by doubt and fear. Could not be derailed by, by issues and problems. That you could walk free in a land of, to be honest with you, the enslaved. That you could do that. How do you do that? You do that by trusting in the right God, the right mediator, and the right covenant. Because only the right God, the right mediator, and the right covenant saves. The byproduct of trusting in that covenant means you now get to walk free. You have to have, get to have a really reliable faith. Now mind you, Brother Brian talk, and I talk about this all the time. It's, it's seldom what we think it's supposed to be. Right? We can walk free thinking, now, I'm never supposed to have to sin again. Good luck with that. Because you will. One of these days, your flesh that causes sin will die. At that point, sin is over for you. As I said Sunday, we ought to really be celebrating it a little bit. We're so fragile, so weak, we want to hang on for the rest of every moment. And the reality is these moments are the ones that are putrid. What comes after is perfect. What comes after is without limitation. What comes after is, is as enjoyable, infinitely enjoyable, as this is infinitely deplorable. One of these days we'll look back from glory and see our life as trash that we're glad we're done with. That's, that's a weird thing to think, but it's true. That's one of those things we go to proclaim. Is that? And here's the problem. I think part of the problem with it is, Brother Mike, is that in some ways we do have it so good. I was talking to my kids today in my class about Greek theater and all that kind of weird stuff. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. But remember, time period-wise, it's very similar. And that they had all this great festival of Dionysus where they had all this big old party and all these great things. You know why? Because that was one week out of 52. The other 51 weeks were death-filled horror shows where almost nobody lived past 40 where a toothache killed you, or a sinus infection killed you, where your baby probably died before they were a year old. 75% of all babies never made it to the first year. Now, mind you, a lot of the world lives like that right now. Haiti lives just like that. Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, that we, we kind of visited in South Dakota, lives just like that. 
Median age, 45. People die there of things that they die of in the third world. It's as, it's as, as, as much a product of the depravity of this world as any corner of the globe is. It's right here in the United States. Imagine you're living in that world. Are you mourning death? Or are you looking forward to eternal life? Life's so hard for these people. What are they looking for? Something better. Something better. So, so there we, we have that understanding. I need to flesh out just a little bit more, then we'll, we'll move on. Because I want to get everything done I've got to get done today. Since a death has occurred. So now, we've got the right God who's the mediator of the right covenant. And the reason why that, ultimately the reason why that covenant saves us when others condemn us is because the right God with the right mediator, I might say the only God with the right mediator of the right covenant now has offered the perfect sacrifice. Every other sacrifice offered under the old covenant fails. Everything you tried to do in your life, covenantally speaking, to try to appease God has failed, hasn't it? Why? Because you are incapable of appeasing the wrath of God on your own. You cannot do it. Wrath must be propitiated, and wrath can only be propitiated by a like sacrifice. My sin is so dire. My, the, the, the way in which I've disappointed God is so great that the only way I can be free from that is if somebody of equal value to my sin or infinite value above my sin is willing to die for my sins. Once again, here's the issue. The issue is this, is that, is that Ms. Pansy, is that even if I am dying for my sins, then guess what? That's a worthless sacrifice. Because my sin is so much more offensive than I am of worth. So even if I've said, God, I'll just die now if you let me live later, that doesn't do it. Praise God, it doesn't have to, Haley, because what really happens is this, is that the infinite Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, and remember, that's one of those issues, because you know, there's this kind of tension that goes on within the Scriptures, and I'll show you that here in just a second. Let me, let me transition to that quickly, and I'll get to that. Since the death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So the, the right death, Emily, has happened. And that is the infinite death of the, of the infinite Christ. Infinitely worthy. So no matter how much the sins of the world have stacked up, Jesus' death more than covers it. Because He's of infinite value. But now, a little bit more. Look back in verse 11. This is where we're going to get to it. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this, this creation. So now we know back in Paul, when Paul talks about a tent, what's he talking about? Body. Body. Now, anybody, everybody here have a body? Of course you do. You may not like it. You may want to upgrade or something like that. I would like a model with a little more hair. And a little more height. Okay, I would like that. Um, in heaven, um, in the eternal state of man, when I am, you know, resurrected, I am going to be tall. <laughs> um, Billy Graham said this once. Um, some little girl came up to him and asked him, said, um, are there, said, my, uh, my, my kitty... Uh, I love my kitty. 
will there be kitties in heaven? And what he said was, the most amazing thing he said, he said, if you need that for your joy to be maximized, you'll have a kitty in heaven. I think it's an amazing idea. So I'd extrapolate that to all the other things that have been limitations. Uh, probably the best way I think I can explain is this. When in in, the, in the, the last battle, when C.S. Lewis is describing what happens after the Pevensey children have been killed by the train, and now they've been resurrected as kings and queens forever of Narnia. And they're literally in heaven. The, the old creation is being stripped away and they can see the new everlasting creation just being laid out in front of them. They talk about running toward the new creation and their lungs not burning. Anybody here ever run before? You ever run to your lungs burn? You're just like, you're just like I'm just like, I'm not going to be able to catch my breath. I have. Well, you run long enough. The problem with running is you run long enough, you stop being short of breath, don't you? You get there and go, go long enough, you stop breathing as hard as you did before. You've just run past that. Here's the point. Those kids take off and they run as hard as they can and their breath never burns in their lungs. They could have run and run and run and never gotten tired. What an amazing idea. Is that all the limitations that we're cursed with right now, God has destroyed. Now, let's talk about it this way. To get that, we have to get back to this point. And the point is this. When he talks about a tent, what he says is, everybody's got a tent, Right? Tony's got a tent, Brian's got a tent, Brother Rudy's got a tent, Shay's got a tent, Mr. Lord. We've all got a tent. It's this physical human body, right? But Jesus' is just different. What's wrong with my tent? My tent, Katie, wants to sin. Brother Kyle, my tent's a sinner. And it's awesomely good at it. Your tent's sin? Don't lie. It's a sin. You're sinners. We're all sinners. And we're saved, we're saved only by the grace of God because these tents are condemning. But now what he says is this, it took the sacrifice, now listen to me, it took the sacrifice of a tent that was not made like the others. It took the sacrifice of a body that was not like the others. And I think that's where we get that tension between those Hebrew words and that Greek word. I'm going to share with you just a second, just the last few minutes of this, okay? Last minute, I promise, okay? The one is the one we always talk about in John 3.16 about Jesus. And that is in the Greek, his words are what? Monogenes. When he describes himself, he says, I am the monogenes. What is he? The, 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 the King James translation was only begotten. But what he really means more than anything else is there's nobody like him. Literally, if you take it, and I think the most literal translation is singular in its essence. How many Jesuses are there? One. There's nobody like him. Not just physic, not just um, not just theologically, not just doctrinally, not just in terms of his character, but down to his DNA. Jesus was not like the rest of us. He looked like a person. He had the same limitations of things like death. He could be killed like a person, but he was not you and I. His flesh did not yearn to sin the way my flesh yearns to sin. There was only one like him. That's what made him the perfect sacrifice. He did what we could never do because he was nothing like me. I'm a sinner in the womb. Jesus is a praiser of God in the womb. From the very moment of his inception, he never sinned. So therefore we have this, this idea that, that 
we are made better because a greater and more perfect sacrifice was offered between the monogenes and what's called the bara or the asa in the Hebrews. That is the, the made. The poorly made. Okay, in verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now, here's the thing. I want to pick on the girls right here because they've all been kind of around the world recently. Here's the point. There's a lot of people in this world still doing that, that aren't there? Who are trying to appease God by some type of sacrifice. The sacrificial system, and, and it's hard, Emily and, I, Emily and I were talking about this the other day, you can talk about Hinduism all you want to, but at the heart of Hinduism is animism, right? At the heart of Hinduism is the fact they worship the earth. And they think they can appease God, whoever it is, by something that happens in the earth. It's not an, un, it's not an unknown thing in its rawest effect right now, Brother Mike, but understand this, everybody get me, the truth of it is, is that our culture is just as animistic. There are people in this community right now who think they can appease the, who can appease the heart of God by being good people. By offering a better sacrifice on their own. They're just as misguided. They're just as lost. They're just as hopeless as those tribesmen scattered around the globe because they're trying to Curry the favor of God in exactly the same way. And it's all doomed to fail. Why? Because the favor, the grace of God has already been earned by Jesus and now can be freely given. So let me show you just a little bit more that we'll be done because I know it's getting, it's getting rowdy in here, okay? Um, it's okay. I get it because I'm rowdy too. Um, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... All that was part of the old covenantal system, right, Brianna? That's part of, of Moses' law, right? The ashes and the heifers and all that kind of stuff that you read about in the Old Testament. He says that, then he says, how much more will the blood of Christ? So if, if the Israelites were allowed to limp along with a system in which they offered their tithes, the best of their herds for their sins, and they followed that law, if that could appease God for a moment, that would keep God from raining down hot fire forever on Israel. If He did that, then what in the world is going to happen if He has now sacrificed His infinite Son? How much more are we forgiven? See, you want to have reliable faith? You want to really have it? There's the measure of your reliable faith is acknowledging how much you've been forgiven. What makes our faith work? We've been forgiven. Debbie, we haven't just been forgiven. We've been infinitely forgiven. We've been forgiven in both directions. Everything you did before has already been forgiven and the blood of Christ is infinitely powerful to undo all the things you haven't even done yet. You didn't, you didn't, you weren't saved up to a point, forgiven to that point, and from that point forward you're kind of on your own. Everything your life would ever do is now covered by the infinitely powerful blood of Jesus. We are set free by something now we can never put, be put back in bondage by. 
We were once in bondage to sin, and now we're so free from sin, we're never put back in bondage to it. But then look at the last part. Because there's always an if, there's always a but in the gospel. There's always one of those. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, our eternal, the eternal Spirit offers Christ eternally without blemish, but then He says this, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we've now been purified from dead works to serve the living God, which means this, we don't go back down the path we came from, Brother Russ. When we go to Haiti and we witness to that witch doctor and he embraces Christ Jesus, he doesn't go back to, who, to voodoo. You know why? Because that's dead. He's now acknowledging his salvation that the past is dead. He doesn't go back and seek it when there's not enough money. He doesn't go back and seek it when somebody gets sick. Because he now has all, he's, his conscience has been purified from all of that dead business that he tried to save himself with. However, he's purified now for what reason? To serve the living God. There's your if, there's your but. There's always something that comes at the end. If you're turned loose, if God has set you free from your sins, He did not set you free for just so you can be happy. He did not set you free just so you can, can, can uh, not have to go to hell. He set you free to serve Him. To serve Him. Not yourself. Not your way. But to hang on to the vestiges of the past. I'll be honest with you, as much of that animism and that voodoo, that guy hanging on to the dead conscience, how many people sit in churches just like this every day and hang on to everything wrong that their mom or their daddy taught them? Everything dead that they learned before. Pay more attention to grandma than do to Jesus. When He purified us from that, when He, when he purified our consciences, He set us free to do what? To serve Him. To think the way He thinks, to live the way He, he wants us to live. In the end, how are we going to have reliable faith when we're serving the living God? You know what people doubt the most? People are doing nothing. They're not busy. They're not doing anything for Jesus. I can't remember the last time He was even a thought to us. We pay attention to the boss and to the kids and to the wife and the husband and everything else in the world. And we never think about the one person who set us free. Everybody wants to have faith. There's the path. Serve God. People who serve God have supernatural faith. People who don't serve God are on their own. Why shouldn't they be? Why should he invest faith in someone that's not willing to do anything? Why should he invest faith in someone that's not going to contribute to the kingdom? Okay, let's pray. Father God, I love and adore you. I thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to come and to speak about this. Father God, I pray, Lord, that I've done it right. I pray, pray Father God, haven't left anything out, that everything has been exactly where we need in this, Father. And I pray, Father God, that I, that I surrender myself to it, Father God, and that now after I've preached it, that your church can surrender to it. Bless us now, Father God. We love you, Father God. But more than anything else, I thank you, Father God, for every single drop of the blood of Jesus that saves sinners just like me, Father. Pray, God, that we are turned loose now, God, to do the work you sent us to do. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.